Jay-Z is truly unique. And he's unique in the fact that no one has been able to stay as culturally relevant. And he has, even in his bad moments, it's very interesting. You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Yeah, we uh, just pressed record on this podcast. Uh, We've been talking about a lot of other stuff, but now it's time for the really serious conversation. I got Brock Benefield with me. I'm Kyle Hawk. You're listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. Brock, how are you doing? We got a great man. This is a new space now. Same setup, uh, different room. The new studio, the corporate studio. Right. Um, so normally we're doing like a uh, hot take in the moment, like Kanye just dropped his album, Kendrick just dropped his album, let's talk about it. This is a little bit different because there's been some time. We're talking about Jay-Z today. We're going to talk about 444, the new album, but even that came out like, what, a month ago yeah. now? There's been a lot of time. The takes have been given. Um, so we're just, we've, we're doing a little bit different this time. I don't know if it's going to feel different during the conversation, but it's a, it's a new step for us. This is the, the lukewarm podcast, Luke, the lukewarm yeah. take podcast. <laughs> um, we are going to be talking about Jay-Z, like I already said. It's summer, it's Indianapolis. Um, Brock, what are you having to drink tonight? Is no, we Mac, Sun King, we Mac. Nice. How about you? I am having a, I can't see it. Yeah. No, it's a Corona with lime. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Is that a Jay-Z type of drink? I don't have? think it is. No? I don't think he's ever had a Corona. No. <laughs> you don't know that. I don't You're think he's right. ever drank anything out of a can past the age of 26. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, well, that's how we do it here. Um, all right. Let's talk about Jay-Z. So we're going to talk about the fact they put out a new album. We want to talk about the bigger picture here. Um, so this is... I want to rewind back. We should probably both first talk about like how we kind of were introduced to Jay-Z. I feel like we've talked about him a little bit on some other podcasts. Um, he's not my favorite rapper, you know? Uh, Nas is, he, is my... Is he in your top five? <laughs> no. He's not. He's not in your top five at all. No. Uh, Nas is my favorite rapper of all time. Um, that puts me and has put me at sort of a disadvantage in terms of appreciating Jay-Z as much as I should. Just oh, really? really? Have those have those two been pitted against each other before? Is that a thing? I think so. Oh, yeah? Back in the day. <laughs> no, it's Water Under the Bridge now, and I've listened to every Jay-Z album in full uh, many times. I'm very familiar with his catalog, and I've got a lot of opinions on his career. But one of the things I want to start with, and I, this was kind of the thing you threw out to me. I think you texted me about this. Several years ago, this was like even before Magna Carta, uh, Holy Grail came out, I had talked about how I thought it would be fascinating if Jay-Z had retired after the Black Album, which I think is one of the great hip-hop albums yeah. of the last 15 years. I think Rembert Brown actually wrote an article similar to this as sure. well, but just to be clear... We talked about this at some point. I feel like I've talked about it with a lot of people. Most people don't agree, and I. I but I, I wanted. Sure, I think most people agree with your opinion here. You I, think? Well, well uh, now that four forty four has come out, I think that that has changed the argument. However, yes, I do think most people, most people, have the opinion that they wish he retires after the Black Album and nothing else comes out, including the Lincoln Park uh, collaboration, the uh, <laughs> whatever the thing was with R. Kelly. Yeah. It came out after the Black Album. Like, all of that is just... Not only just the albums aren't great, but everything's just wiped away. Yeah. Um, I think my initial thought of it was, what if he retired after the Black Album and then returned for Watch the Throne? 
I think that would have been that album was. Oh, so um, I didn't know that. There was okay. I didn't didn't know. That's that when my that conversation way. about it started. Is when Watch the Throne came sure. out because I hadn't really. I wasn't in, as impressed with American Gangster as a lot of other people were. I thought Kingdom Come was terrible, um, and so at the time I was thinking like, what if, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating to think about if he did retire after the Black Album, we were all waiting to see if something would happen. Then I also think it's fascinating if he comes back. But he's had consistent releases since then. That's the point. Yeah, he never really took time off. Yeah. Um, because 04, the Linkin Park album, I don't I can't remember when the R. Kelly album comes out, but 06 is Kingdom Come, yep. I think. Yeah. So, all this to say, I am... I am glad he didn't retire. Okay. I mean, there's enough work now that we can appreciate some of it, right? And I, I do want to talk about 444 because I think it's the best yeah. thing, best solo album he's put out since the Black Album. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay. Well, we hadn't talked about it at all. I was well, expecting that, I, I to have a disagreement the, I guess there. that's the end of the podcast. All right, that's the end. Well, um, thanks for joining. No, I... So I'm surprised to hear you say that because as I was listening to it, I was thinking this reminds me a lot of sort of the just from a production standpoint and the way it's put together and content wise and I, I want to really talk about that a little bit later but it reminded me of some of the indie sort of backpack hip hop albums from like when I was growing up yeah. stuff that I feel like you weren't as into as I was don't tell don't act like I wasn't cool on the podcast no you were <laughs> we listened to different kinds of hip hop uh-huh. you right? listened to cooler hip hop and I listened to a lot of mainstream <laughs> stuff it's fine no but d- did you did you feel that way when you listened to it because it it's not a mainstream hip hop album to me sure. it's Sonic, not a pop album um, no not at all and he's, he's um, which is cool because Jay Z's obviously never really gone for hit songs Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been more of a concept album artist, right? Um, which has been at times what separated him from hip hop. However, not being as well versed in indie backpack rap from the 2000s as you were, to me, it sonically it sounded more like American Gangster, which I think is the second best Jay Z solo album and okay. one of his best albums, period, um, since the Black album. And I think both of these albums are great albums, and in, like. I, it's hard for me to rank um, Jay-Z albums. I don't, I don't really have that many strong thoughts um, on them other than the Black Album. So um, the difference is with 444 is kind of the obvious point, which is he has actual issues in his life to address that just set him up so well. Yeah, that's key. And it's min- and, and the album's minimalism. And it's pretty, there was that was probably... If there's really any genius in this album, it's to pair these um revelatory uh uh ideas that he has in his own personal life against just minimalism you know well samples you know a lot of a lot of great samples mm-hmm. but not overpowering samples yeah um which is what's i'm just gonna keep bringing this podcast back to how great american gangster was <laughs> but that's what was so beautiful about american sure. gangster um Let's come back to 444 Let's in a second. Let's come back to American Gangster. <laughs> yeah. So Black Album is your favorite Jay-Z album. Yeah. What was your introduction to Jay-Z? Like, when did Brock become aware and a fan of Jay-Z's music? Well, I think, like most people, um, I was introduced to Jay-Z by the movie Rush Hour. Uh, which is supposed to be a laugh line there, Kyle. That <laughs> well, I was like... Go for a bit. Uh, yeah, because Can I Get a was... Uh-huh. Was there was the uh, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker were in the music video like they had the cuts, and uh, so I got 
I think from Walmart, maybe from Target, the edited version of uh, Volume Three, Hard Knock Life Volume Three, whatever it was. The volume episode. Two. But was it Volume? No, it wasn't. It was Volume Three. Volume Two is Life of Times Sean Carter. I think you're uh, getting them switched. No, I'm, I'm gonna definitely look it up not. I'm definitely talking. not getting this wrong. Jay Z's third album was my my introduction. I hadn't heard Reasonable Doubt. I heard I hadn't heard uh, Life in Times. This is you can look it up all you want, but I'm a hundred percent sure this is true. Um, it's not Volume Two. I don't care what the internet says. <laughs> what? What was? It? No, it's the third studio album. I'm right and, on this. But it doesn't matter. It's not based on the studio albums. It's just okay. he started. All right, fine. No, I'm wrong. Reasonable Doubt was the first time, but it wasn't. Yeah, one, yeah. One well, in my life, this was a, you're so, right. I'm wrong. All right. I was 100 sure a second ago. Uh third album's my introduction. Wouldn't be until years later that I heard Reasonable Doubt. Until even longer. I don't. I think I don't think I heard in my lifetime until like 10 or 11 years later um and then I had so Hard Knock Life had hits on it like huge that's really when Jay-Z started to like take over the summer yeah um and so 98's like 97, 98 is like around the time I get really into rap um Jay-Z's the first uh rock star rapper that I like um and then from there he just carries every summer through our adolescence yep um so for for me being so much into pop rap uh, he was, I mean, he was the fighting era of the, he was the fighting artist of the late 90s and 2000s. Yeah, no question about so, it. Because I was listening to DMX, I was listening to Nelly, I was listening to Outkast, I was listening to people who were, I was listening to Nas, was yeah. listening to Nas was on the radio then, you know? Yeah. It was an exciting time because, for me, a genre I loved was starting to come into the mainstream and the concept of like, oh, this, this is cool now. Because it yeah. wasn't, at least for me, um, when I was growing up. So the idea that like oh people are gonna like this was right. really exciting. So like uh, you know the blueprint came out the summer before my senior year of high school. I mean it was just everything, right? And and I you know I preface by talking about the Nas and Jay Z beef. I mean um, clearly I I took a side on that, but I was enjoying Jay Z's music. I've never not enjoyed him. He's not one of my top ten rappers of all time or something, but um, he's always been a consistent part of my experience with hip hop, which is. Um, obvious just because we are the generation where he kind of came to prominence but what I found most fascinating and this is I think kind of an interesting part of this conversation I didn't listen to 444 until just recently because I subscribed to Spotify and of course that's the one platform that uh, none of his music is on and I'm not going to do another free trial of title at this point Um, but what was interesting was there's a new guy that just started working at the company that I work at and he, he just graduated college, so he's probably like 22 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, our first day we had a conversation about music because I can't not talk to people and bring up music. So we're sitting there. It was probably a week after the album came out. And he's like, so if you listen to the new Jay-Z album. And I, I was surprised because I was like, oh, like as a 22-year-old, like into Jay-Z. And I kind of, I was like, you know, how would you say that your age group thinks of Jay-Z's music because I'm surprised I would have thought that like he was like your age wouldn't have overlapped with yeah relevance and right and he's like no I would say like people my age definitely have a reverence for him like he may not be like our go-to artist like he he mentioned like you know I think J. Cole and and Kendrick and stuff but like Jay-Z's like we're gonna listen to what this guy has to say when he puts something out because there's a a level of respect there of like we are acknowledging the 
fullness of his career at this point and what that means. And that really fascinated me because I'm not sure people at 22 would even say that about Kanye at this point. You know, oh, what I, I mean? think they would. That's I mean, not not. I mean, I don't think that they have the reverence for Kanye that they have for Jay Z. But that's because of who Kanye is in terms yeah. of uh, his position in the zeitgeist. He's ever been as prominent as Jay Z. I would, I would, I mean, I would think. So, but the the point is, age forty seven, Jay Z puts out another album, and it's still just as much of a talking point as it was last time. Yeah. You know what I mean? At what point does Jay Z not hold that level of authority over the pop culture conversation. And so, so if you look at his contemporaries, so think about Nas, DMX, Nelly, uh, um, Puff Daddy. None of none of them could put out an album right now mm-hmm. and go on a stadium tour. Yeah, go on an arena tour rather, not stadium tour, arena tour. Um, Jay Z is about to do that. What do you think? Why do you think he's so relevant? Um, obviously he's a great artist. Yeah. Um, the Jay-Z, Beyonce relationship, I think, is bigger than life yeah, in a lot of primary, ways. Don't you think that's the primary reason? Yeah. The fact that I he's mean, married I, to Beyonce, right? Um, yeah. But it's more than just the fact that he's married to Beyonce. Beyonce is a great artist as well, but also we were listening to Destiny's Child the same time we were listening to those yeah. early Jay-Z albums. You know what I mean? For She's sure. pretty far into her career as well. I think they're status their relationship has risen to this level of um i don't know public interest that's kind of beyond what a lot of celebrities can get to in a way that they're actually respected for the most part yeah. even after lemonade came out sure um the fact that you know the shots of them hanging out with barack and michelle like like, like there's kind of this mystique there sure. of that relationship and i do think that lemonade probably helped because yeah. people are still interested in like so what happened there like what what does he have to say you know yeah because it's pretty much there would have been no reason for another jay-z album after the disaster that was magna carta and i remember he toured with justin timberlake for a bit mm-hmm. and i think he went on a bit of like i think they had a pretty minimal tour for that last album compared to Blueprint 3 yeah um, but this time like they're going they're going hard they're going all yeah. in like he's going back just like Blueprint 3 like he he knows he's got a winner um, and he's doing a run and I think no it's very it's very I just brought up the, the Beyonce thing it's, it's very interesting that that is that's definitely the driving force of his career and his relevance but he was also um, the runaway winner of all of his peers and other than Eminem, I don't know that there's anyone that has stayed relevant. But even Eminem's not nearly. No, I mean, not it's, not even, close. it's not even comparable, right? I think if Andre 3000 came out with an album right now um, and really, really leaned into the idea of going big, he might be able to do it. But it's because of the, the time. It's because it's been more than a decade since yeah. he's had an album out. Um, right. So imagine, I mean, this is Jay-Z who in 2013 put out a really bad album. So imagine if Jay-Z hadn't put out an album since 2003 or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Lemonade had still come out. But, I mean, just think about all... This is what I keep going back to is, like, you can... I mean, I think 
no one's going to defend Magna Carta. No one's going to defend um, the 06 album, which I can't think of right Kingdom now. Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. No one's going to defend those albums. There's a couple good songs on Kingdom Come. There's a couple decent songs on Magna Carta. It's fine. Like, the, neither, like, they have their good points, right? But Blueprint 3 is derided by so many critics, but it is, in my opinion, inarguably a, a very good album. Yeah, well, the production great. is incredible. Um, and there's like four bad songs on it. And that is what's interesting about you. We brought up the, the, the guy that you work with who's 22. Like, how many people were introduced to J. Cole on the Jay Z album? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Blueprint 3. So that was certainly my introduction to J. Cole. Yeah. And this 2009, he brings J. Cole on an album to talk about, on a, on a song about the, the history of hip hop. In all of his in, in a recognition of, of his contemporaries, and he basically nods to J. Cole like you're going to be one of the next ones. And then on that same album, he says Drake's about to take over rap at a time where Drake had a single mixtape and a song that had been on the radio for a month and a half. Yeah. So and there are four, three or four all time great Jay Z tracks on that. So that like that that exists. Yeah. Um, Watch the Thrones exists. American Gangster, which I don't know if you knew. I think it's a great album. <laughs> yeah, that tell me more. It's so good. It's so good. Um, but you like the Black Album better. Right? Yeah, do I like the Black Album better than anything he's done since then? But it's been fascinating to see someone do something. Jay Z is truly unique, and the fa- he's unique in the fact that no one has been able to stay as culturally relevant. And he has, even in his bad moments, it's very interesting. Even his, like, mm-hmm. the opulence on Magna Carta, he, it's more nuanced, I think, than people, when they look back on that album, uh, give him credit for, you know? And it's just like, we didn't get to see this really with Dr. Dre or Ice Cube or Chuck D. Like, no one really, even if they were putting out good albums, they didn't have, they didn't have the, the, the megaphone. You know, yeah, and it's just it's it's so interesting that he has, despite his missteps, stayed so famous. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so what impressed me most about four forty four and why I was open to doing this conversation is I loved that this guy that is kind of came to prominence at a time where some of the hip-hop machoism was at its highest yeah. in terms of, you know, uh, hip-hop crossing over uh, into, you know, pop radio. This is a guy who has not had a lot of moments of self-reflection and tenderness in a way that 444 exhibits in my mind. This is a 444. He's reckoning with himself. He's reckoning with a lot of missteps that you discussed. I'm not saying that he's never done that, but I don't think he's ever done it like this. Well, I think um, this this has an element of self loathing mm-hmm. that I would say has not been there before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's fascinating to me. Like I feel like I've been for that from Jay Z. You know what I mean? And it's not like I need that from every artist or something. I mean, you can overdo it. Drake's an example of that. But Jay-Z is somebody who's kind of... I, I think of him as the dirt-off-my-shoulder guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's untouchable. On 444, he was clearly 
touchable. You know what I mean? Um, and I just find that side of him really, really interesting at this point in his career. Yeah, because it's the most um, it's the most nuanced. Like I and I think back, you know, um, the Black Album in so many ways is a victory lap. It's him mm-hmm. putting all his favorite producers. He's going in a lot of different directions and he just hits like a home run every every track. Even on the Black Album, you've got a song like "Moment of Clarity" though that 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 does that is a retrospective. But it's not the same sort of emotional acting that it has on there. What do you think, though, in the fact that is is there any part of you like me that's that's that can't help but be a cynic and think about Kendrick and J. Cole and Drake and how in vogue it is to be self reflecting and 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 pepper in an element of self loathing? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, but I, gosh, it's almost. It's funny because just as we were talking about this, I started thinking about Kendrick, and it's it's almost hard to compare at this point because what we got in 444 is nothing compared to what we got with Dam, right? Yeah. So, in that sense, like here we are talking about this whole podcast about like an inferior thing. Um, gosh, there's part of it. There's part of this album. If I'm being really cynical, that almost reads like a prepared statement. And mm. um, I think the fact I think the decisions they made on the production side really keeps it from from descending into something that um, that bad. But yeah, that's the weird statement. That's interesting. I had not. This thought is what Jay Z would say angle. in front of the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite song on Four Forty Four? I like Kill Jay Z. Okay. Yeah, because it it just. It's like just guts are open. This is what this album is about. Yeah, and a guy that's not always had great opening tracks. So yeah, he's unlike Kanye in that way. Yeah, uh, I don't know. For me, Family Feud was that's the great, runaway. That's a great track, best track. Um, I mean, probably the, the most I've enjoyed a Jay Z track in a long, long time. And the first time he's really gone back to his beef with Al Sharpton since American Gangster. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so. It's, I, I, I'm going back to this Kendrick thing now because we yeah. talked about this like a few months ago after Damn came out of what could possibly reckon with this album. Like who in hip-hop can touch this right now? You know, Jay-Z had a huge opening week. It's a big talking point. Like it's fascinating to watch an artist in his twilight be talked about just as much as an artist that's at the top of their game unless you feel like the conversation is around Kendrick was much more forceful than Jay-Z and maybe maybe it was I just don't think that this album's going to have much staying power it's a very interesting part of his career um it's not a very good re-listenable album um there's there's there are no kind of breakout tracks which is not what he's trying to do um this is more of a really interesting footnote in his Wikipedia page yeah and well, but is it possible for Jay Z to have an album at this point that isn't just that? Can he? Does he have an all time great album left in him? No, I don't think so. But he could have done. I think he's got another Blueprint Three in him, you know, mm. that has stadium arena hits, you know. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Four Forty Four isn't really an album I would want to hear in an arena necessarily. No, I mean, who really wants to hear these songs live? <laughs> you know, not, and that's yeah, that's no, not in any way denigrating the songs. Like they're they're fantastic songs, 
but it's it's the stuff that you wanted to hear Jay Z say, yeah. um, not necessarily. And then you just like, oh, I I got it. Um, not to say I won't play these songs back, but two years from now, do you think you're going to be listening to four forty four more, or do you think you're going to listen to damn more? And do you think it's going to be close? Yeah, I don't think so. I think it yeah, wasn't no, be damn far not. more. So I guess to kind of touch back on the initial thesis that we had here to start with, I I overreacted when Magna Carta Holy Grail came out and just how much I disliked it, how poor of an album I thought it was. That it kind of reignited my thought about Jay Z would have been better off retiring after the Black Album, even if you think American Gangster is good, even if... American Gangster is great. Right. Not good. But my point was that... <laughs> we really should have just done this podcast. This American, American Gangster, Gangster apparently. But, like, the point for me was there were enough big swings that had he retired after the victory lap and left us there, the mystique of him as an artist would have been greater. I'm prepared at this point to say I'm glad that he didn't because I think that we're getting enough pieces now to put together kind of this second life of this artist and yeah. what it's meant for him to grow into the place that he is now and go through the things that he's gone through now, even relationships and as, you know, one of the most powerful and influential businessmen in the world, you know, like those are it's, those things are starting to become interesting enough concepts for me that I'm willing to not feel as strongly about some of the swing and misses at this point. But there's so much that is um, that you can read in between the lines. There's so much subtext to what is in Magna Carta and uh, Kingdom Come. If you think about a guy that went to the top and then stayed on top and had so many relationships ruined, which is something I actually want to get into that in a second, but and had so many relationships ruined, and how much um, there's a feeling of emptiness in those bad albums. And I think part of the reason people really don't like those albums is because it's you're listening to Jay-Z rap about nothing over really good production. Mm-hmm. And there's just, it's especially Magna Carta, it's just so empty. Like he actually has yes. some interesting song. He has some interesting topics he explores um, with his rela- relationship with... Beyonce on Kingdom Come um, not so much Magna Carta but it's just felt like you just felt like he has nothing to say right um, but it, I think that will be if we look back 20 years from now like even that's fascinating that he mm-hmm. had that level of success and it just like he was devoid of emotion you know yeah um, he has never I don't think and this is probably the the closest he's got to it but I didn't I didn't feel fulfilled and I, I want to hear Jay-Z talk more about his busted friendships probably just because we grew up as rap fans mm-hmm. and all the people um, we were such fans of all the people if we think about Dame Dash Beanie Siegel Kanye West like there are so many people in a mill there are so many people in his life that he's now estranged from or has had really rocky times with yeah. and I and and that to me is every bit as interesting as a longtime rap fan, as as a as a rough as a rough marital patch. Yeah, well, it's fascinating because hip hop, 
in is so different from any other genre in that the community is real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't feel that in pop music. You know, maybe a little bit in rock or country, but but nothing like what exists in hip hop. Like it is deeply personal, and those relationships are deeply meaningful um, in a way that kind of dwarfs any other genre. And something that I think is interesting with what you're saying is that we are now getting to see hip hop grow up in this way because the previous generation we didn't get to see that because when relationships fell out like there was real cost you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like now we're getting to see like relational fallout and what it means like to grow up and to grow apart and for distance to happen I think that's a new ground that hip hop is exploring through an artist like Jay-Z right now or even a Kanye that we haven't had before and I think that is pretty fascinating and don't you think like there's just really no more fascinating story in hip hop from a single label than Rockefeller other than you know maybe Death Row Records wouldn't you agree Hmm. you're probably going to say some hipster indie label that (laughs) no I'm thinking mainstream um I think Bad Boy has a lot of interesting storylines, but I know that we were not different on anywhere that near. I mean, Shine with the Jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shout out! Shout out to Shine. Um, no, I yeah, I'd say that's fair. Um, I would say the 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 Cold War that has that has gone on around Rockefeller Records since the mid two thousands is one of the most interesting stories that's ever happened to rap music. Um, the fact that so many of those guys in 2001, 2002 were pretty close to being on equal footing. None of them were more famous than Jay-Z, but they were all rising stars. And the fact that um, Jay-Z came out so far ahead financially um, and relationships were ruined and um, we just forget that Jay-Z was very cutthroat with a lot of his relationships. Not, you know, It's just fascinating, man. And Memphis Bleak has just been on tour with him the whole time. <laughs> Your ongoing uh, love of Memphis Bleak. Yeah, as you know, like one of the the things I want to do most as a writer is to interview Memphis Bleak and yeah, get his. Tell me that. Not just because he had I mean, the stories he could probably tell. Yeah. About his own career, Jay Z with that line, basically saying Memphis Bleak is taken care of doesn't matter if he has another hit his whole life and the fact that he stayed by jay-z's side when so many friends have dropped out yeah what he must think of all that and the fact that he's like a working rapper like he still tours and does dates and like grinds for money like that's it's so that's so fascinating is he coming to the vogue anytime soon i don't know we need to look out for this i know we got it what are the chances we can get him on this podcast what do you think if, if memphis bleak listening to this podcast we would love to have you on <laughs> yeah. we have such a good conversation next time you roll through Indianapolis let us know We'd I tell you what to. Memphis Bleak great performer when he's with, with, on, on stage with Jay-Z he accentuates that performance so much yeah have you seen Jay-Z live before? I have yeah 2010 only only one time okay and mm-hmm. what was the experience like? it was incredible and that was it was Blueprint 3 so it was like the it was like his U2 tour right? yeah um, and he was so uh, and it was, young, it was him and Young Jeezy. Uh, Memphis Bleak was there, and then Trey Songs, which is about as <laughs> random as it gets. Um, but yeah, it was it was 
that was him knowing like these are the these are my cat this is my catalog that plays well in Banker's Life Stadium. Yeah, and it was it was amazing. Have you seen it live? I have not. Blueprint three puts a big dent into the whole "What if Jay Z retired after the Black Album" argument, just because it was such a spectacle. At the yeah, time. And it worked. Like, yeah. What, what do you do? You think that's a good album? Yes, uh, in terms of like a you know mainstream hip hop album, but I mean. I didn't. It was kind of. It's definitely not as hollow as Magna Carta, Holy Grail, but I still didn't feel like I was. There was a lot of meat to it. But I, you know, the thing for me at that time, like, in talking about hip hop, like, I'm going to talk about the beats as well. And that album is just incredible. It's insane. Like, it's incredible. I know. Everybody, like, for the next year was making mixtapes with the beats from Blueprint yeah. 3. I mean, it was just. It's a, it's a great piece of work in that sense. So. What did you think? What is your th- What are your thoughts on the track "Death of Auto Tune"? Because that has weirdly been uh, a track that's been cited in a few yeah. reviews I read of Four Forty Four mm-hmm. in, in retrospect to Jay career. What do I think about the track now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a time capsule, right? It feels really dated um, and strange at this point. At the time, I was actually on board with him. Um, I think just idealistically in regard to what was happening. At- the time um but it was just a new that was us transitioning to kind of a new era of pop music and i don't think any of us really knew what to make of it yet um and so it just kind of fit with the time but i don't think it was ever going to be a song we were going to listen to 10 years later you know i think it's just it was so prescient in the fact that that is that song is essentially um an argument for the album even more than voice distortion like mm-hmm. it is it is a an argument for jay-z continuing to do things his way which is a was a at the time we didn't listen to albums like we do now and i think with streaming services we've come back around with kendrick and drake and jay cole like the album is cool again um and I mean, think about what Beyonce has done to make the album cool again. Yeah. And to think about at its at its lowest point, Jay Z w- was making songs that and that in, in a way address that is part of what, like is what is brilliant about Blueprint Three. It really was ahead of its time in some ways. Man, you were dropping knowledge today. Like you, this is crazy. It's another great point, man. Um, yeah, I. Th- so this is what you had in mind, I think, was to kind of like deconstruct this this idea I had. Um, yeah, and you're doing a really good job of it. It's been a brilliant second half to his career because I think his failures are interesting, um, and he has he can look back and say, "I made Blueprint Three, which is interesting. I made American Gangster, which I'm sure he's incredibly proud of. Um, he's going to be extremely proud of this album." And Watch the Thrones was a was a Megatron. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Kingdom Come was a mess. Magna Carta was a horrible album. Um, they both have some things that are worth re-listening to. But all things considered, that's a great run. Yep, it is. Is it as good as his run he before he had before that? No, but that runs unmatched in terms of uh, relevancy than any than any rap artist had. Um, there's certainly better runs from. Uh, from hip hop artists in terms of uh, creativity, but uh, but yeah, that's that's that was it was insane that he like seven summers in a row 
was the biggest artist. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to think back. It's just very. It's it's you always have to bring up Nas whenever we have a Jay Z con- conversation, and if you look at the last, um, I would say since Jay Z retired. I might argue that Nas has three better albums um, than Jay-Z's had. Uh, his three best albums since Jay-Z's retirement have been better than Jay-Z's best three albums. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's certainly been more creatively fruitful. But it has just, like, has has not stayed relevant. He really hasn't stayed relevant, you know? Well, I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I was thinking about it today because I knew that you might. Um yeah, that's fine, but that's you're talking about two completely different artists. Like Nas's chance of having Jay Z's relevance are almost none, simply because of the art that Nas creates. And right? he never did. Like he never was as big as Jay Z um, after Illmatic. Yeah, but you know, he, he comes before Jay Z. Jay Z gets on the scene. They're never comparable in terms of size. Yeah, two completely different artists, though. Um, I mean, Nas doesn't have a hollow album. You know what I mean? He doesn't have a Magna Carta Holy Grail. Um, he's I, I think that he's a he's a greater artist. That's why he's my favorite rapper of all time, his uh, storytelling capability, his relevancy in terms of the social justice conversation, um, all those things. Like Nas is in tune with the hip hop community in a way that Jay Z really can't be because he's ascended so far above it into the mainstream if that makes sense in my mind yeah but at the same time you're right there's no you can't compare their relevancy just like the guy at work that i was talking about when i brought up nas was like yeah he had that one album like back in the 90s or whatever right like that was his like he didn't even know the yeah. word ilmatic but like that was that's his point of reference sure. for nas and that's fine because that's nas for Nas to have reached the point that Jay-Z has reached, he would have had to let go of a lot of the things that make Nas Nas. Yeah. So it just couldn't be. And it's, it's like, Lupe Fiasco makes songs. Talib Kweli makes songs. And all of these guys just don't have the staying power. And it makes me wonder, um, like, what are, like, is Kendrick Lamar going to have an album in his 40s? Is J. Cole going to be able to have an album in their 40s? Are these people that are socially conscious um, and big right now, are they just, like, a, a victim to whatever uh, the music, however the musical landscape changes? Well, the musical landscape changes, for sure, and, you know society evolves and just like you talked about the reason that we really don't want q-tip to hold the title belt in 2017 is because we need a younger voice yeah that's talking about that that's giving a message that's relevant to the generation that is most impacted by the music like you think about like i think chuck klosterman's concept of like at the point when you are most in tune with your relationship with music and that relationship with you and the music that you're finding and partaking is most influential and important or like your college years, right? Um, I, I find that to be true and fascinating. I don't, and I've talked about this a lot on some of the other stuff we've done for the site and podcasts is that I don't feel as emotionally invested in any music now as I did back when I was in college when everything was speaking to me, when everything was inspiring me you know what i mean that's just part of aging and that's the way that we partake art as well in some sense so like you and i are not the and shouldn't be tastemakers or 
thought leaders in terms of music or its message. Dude, so if we're not tastemakers. Why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> because we're just having a couple beers and chatting in this room. Yeah. Um, no, but like, so no, I is Kendrick going to have this hugely relevant, socially impactful album when he's forty? No, but I kind of hope not because I hope that the next person is doing that. Sure, I just it's weird to think about like what's Kendrick's midlife crisis going to be like. Yeah, when he's had like that's happened when he was twenty six. You know, I probably took that. Yeah, <laughs> no, you he's know? having his midlife crisis always. What like. is going to be weirder and more have more depth than you on *Depend Butterfly*? Like he can't do. He's like he's mm-hmm. wasted his not yeah, wasted his shot. You know was what I'm a, saying? That was his. He's taking his shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a. I I think I took it way off the rails from where you were wanting it to go, but um, that is an interesting thought. Is like, what is Kendrick saying? It. Have you 47? heard? Have you heard uh, the song "Neighbors" by J Cole? Yes. Um, to me, it was very. It's to me that's um, one of the more interesting songs to get uh, into the zeitgeist. Into the and just and just the fact that that's a popular song, and as as good as it is, like that's. Um, like Nas would be proud of that, you know. Just it's so cool to see <laughs> yeah. that that can that can earn enough consensus support to give it to give it, to make it basically be in popular demand. Yeah, no, that's a really great point, man. This has been a this has been a sprawling conversation. Yeah. I feel like we've touched on all kinds of things. What do you think of American Gangster? I have to keep bringing it back. <laughs> we just had this. I just want to talk about American Gangster. Uh, I thought Denzel's performance was really great. It's one of his underrated. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, Shoots Stringer Bell on spoiler alert. He kills each Selva. <laughs> I uh, I think I think American Gangster is fine. I think I was predisposed to not like it as much as I probably should have because of where I was at at the time mm-hmm. in terms of my thoughts about the Black Album and that whole thing. So, um, and I can't really go back and relive that in the moment. You know, I can listen back to it now and be like, okay it's better than kingdom come and it's a pretty good album you know what i mean but it's not an album i'm reaching for a lot when i when i listen to jay-z i'm listening to 2003 and yeah previous you know it's it's so i mean i can just slobber over over this album uh for another 45 minutes it's just so interesting that that album happened that is this concept album that it it talks about jay-z um it's a coming of age album that in so many ways like sets up Good Kid, Mad City because it has a narrative arc, uh, and I'm sure was minimal influence. But if you think about it, like that's right before Kendrick starts to make mm-hmm. albums as 07, right? So it's it's it, two years from now. For two years from then, Kendrick's gonna start making albums, and that's this fully formed um, concept album that takes a couple of detours in the most interesting way, which is to address. What was going on with Don Imus and Jenna Six and comments Al Sharpton had made about Jay Z and he's fascinating on the tracks where he breaks away from um, the concept um, and the fact that that is that is his smallest album since retirement. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna guess I don't know the numbers. I'm gonna guess that sold uh, far fewer records than Magna Carta, Holy Grail. And there, I don't know. I don't oh, remember. Yeah, yeah. No far, far. And, and the fact that it was tied to this movie that got middling reviews and was kind of like you know sh- should have been. It's a Ridley Scott 
Russell Crowe, Denzel Washington movie, like that movie should have been bigger. And it's a Jay-Z album, like you think the Jay-Z album is going to be bigger. But it's yeah. not, right? It's a small, funky album that's, well, that's just amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It's almost a whole other conversation, like truly... Uh, and so I keep because, trying to have. <laughs> you know, but think about think about 2007. What was the conversation in hip hop in 2007? It was like it was like mixtapes, right? It was mixtapes. It was like Lil Wayne, and there was that. There was 50 Cent versus Kanye. Oh sure, like sure. Jay Z was wasn't the... even a part of the conversation. I, I think it's because, uh, you know, how unimpressive Kingdom Come was, and you had all these other sort of buzzworthy artists at the time, and. American Gangster, just by the nature of the album itself, kind of flew under the radar. It wasn't very in your face, and there were so many other conversations in hip hop going on at the time that it kind of just it missed for whatever reason. I, I think I'm not. I, I definitely don't think I'm the only one that was kind of in in that boat that kind of retroactively wished that I would have appreciated it as much when it came out as I more than I did. But it was just kind of the nature of that period of but it's his career interesting it's so fascinating to me that you can draw even though that they're fundamentally different albums you can draw such a clean comparison to 444 to American Gangster they both come off huge flops they both sound similar they're both sample heavily uh, sam- sample heavy um, they both I think I don't think Puff Daddy had the same kind of influence on that album that No ID had on 444 but Puff Daddy was like one of the driving forces uh of that album and the fact that that it's him working closely with an old friend like there's just so many parallels to that album yeah and it's 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 interesting that it seems like some of the things he learned uh on what made american gangster good but maybe not huge allowed him to make 444 this transcendent album yeah potentially transcendent so what we've decided tonight is that uh, Brock is going to be the new host of the It's All Dead podcast going forward. Um, he's uh, you you crushed it tonight, man. Seriously, just, just, this I, was I more than any other time. I really appreciate your thoughts tonight because this was really really fascinating, and it should be that way because I Jay Z, like like we I kind of tried to say from the start. I mean in terms of importance and just overall knowledge of the career arc and understanding of it like you were light years ahead of me um i i'm almost i i feel like i've almost kept myself surface level with him for probably the past 10 years i've probably been more interested to take a deeper dive since 444 than i have in a long time so this is an area where your expertise really shines Um, i think it's what's interesting is, is um a few years younger and you were like you're clearly um when we think about the early 2000s you were so so much more hip than i was in terms of the the, the, in terms of the artists you were listening to and um the reason i'm so close to jay-z's music is that that when i'm 13 and uh jay-z's like the peak i'm 13 when when uh, blueprint comes out right so there's just no there's just n- th- that was my entire world mm-hmm. so i think that that's the reason like that's that's the reason that i was only hearing Nas songs that were on the radio until yeah. much later well and that's the other caveat to this and the last thing i'll say to kind of wrap it up is that you know like i talked about there was that those summers and it was exciting to see hip-hop come into the mainstream and wondering what would happen 
But the the other side to that that I didn't say is that, you know, there was a, a community of people that were basically underground hip hop fans. And the way that the mainstream transition happened did not at all play out the way that we thought it would. And in a lot of ways, the integrity of the genre was compromised in some ways. Jay-Z was a face of that, for better or for worse. Um, now, in recent years, I've kind of let go of, I think, some of those childish feelings I had about hip-hop coming into mainstream consciousness and the way that that happened. And I can reflect on it a little bit better than I did in the moment. But there was still a sort of a black hole period there where I kind of shut off a lot of stuff. American Gangster falls right in the middle of that, of a period where I was pretty... I, I was just uninterested in... A mainstream rap artist so you know that's part of it as well that another one of those things i wish i could go back and do it a little bit differently but that's why we have spotify we always yeah. go back listen <laughs> and we always don't have title, go back but none of us have title yeah that's a whole nother thing that we didn't talk about but best of luck to title all right Brock, we did it. We talk about everything you wanted to talk about with this. Is this what you envisioned? I just wish we would have gotten to American Gangster. Yeah, I know. I hate that we didn't cover that, but it's it's fine. <laughs> um, what if we did a podcast about every Jay Z album, starting I, with I'm, the Reasonable I'm, Doubt? I'm game. I think it's. <laughs> I great. think we'll have to start a new podcast, like yeah. a whole new series, but like serial, mm-hmm. but for Jay Z albums. Yeah, and we'll try to We've figure gotta out. Got to get Memphis Bleak on. Did. Dame Dash murder someone or not? That's the central <laughs> question of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And this week again, like our plea: please come on the podcast, please. All right, that's gonna do it. Brock Benefield, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me once again. It was fun. Uh, go to our website; it's alldead.com. We've got a lot of we fun content come up this summer. Some different events we've been covering. A lot of great albums have come out. Um, so check us out; it's alldead.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review. review. Let us know how we're doing. That's going to do it for this time. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Kyle Hawk. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.